Well, if you're new with us, we want to say welcome. We want to say we're thrilled that you're here. We, uh, we typically kind of are meat and potatoes here at Providence North. What we typically do is walk through books of the Bible. We're currently doing that through the book of Ephesians. And we find ourselves, we've kind of parsed out the book of Ephesians as Paul is getting ultra practical with us. And so um, last week we looked at marriage, or the last couple weeks we looked at marriage as he lays out the gospel implications for us as husbands and wives. And this week, uh, chapter 6, Paul is going to be leaning in and talking about parenting. And so Paul, from the beginning, has uh, set up the glorious realities of our salvation, who we are in Christ, that we've been wrapped up, that we've been purchased, that we're blood-bought, that we're children of God. And then he spent four chapters giving us this mountaintop view of the glorious realities of our salvation in Christ. And now the rubber's meeting the road. And then he talks about, now in light of all of that, now we are as Christians in chapter 5, he said, we're to submit to one another. We're to love one another. We're to submit to one another under the umbrella and banner of Christ. And then he says, um, now, Jesus is the very head of all of this. He holds it all together. And then he's going to talk about authority and submission in the church, authority and submission in a marriage relationship under the lordship of Jesus. And now he's going to, from marriage, and now he's going to the home, and he's going to be talking about authority and submission in the home. And then next couple weeks, we're going to do two weeks on parenting, he's going to be talking about that very same thing, authority and submission under the authority and umbrella of Jesus in the workplace, bosses, employees. So he's setting the foundational bedrock of societies, of how we live, how we operate, the very normative things that we live in in an everyday basis. He's saying the gospel informs all of these things. And so uh, we are in the section that Paul is going to be addressing parenting. And I've been thinking a lot about how to address this. Joshua, actually, before we grab that book for me, I'm, I wanted to mention this before I got started. So this is a book called, uh, by Paul Tripp called Parenting, 14 Gospel Principles. If you don't have this book by Paul David Tripp, a lot of my outline came from his writings in this. This is a wonderful book on parenting. It's pretty easy read, but it's just super practical yet also theologically rich. I want to recommend it to you. Um, he's the same uh, guy that wrote this that's going to be doing the live stream with us that we're going to be doing a month from now at Northway, the parenting conference. They're really, he is a really, really helpful, brilliant uh, author, theologian, writer. So I recommend that to you. I was reading this a lot while preparing for these couple of weeks. So side note. So just think about how do we begin this parenting series, if you will, in Ephesians 6. And I thought I'd share a story of my own. It was the end of a really long week. As parents, if you're a parent in here, you've had these days, you remember these days, you're currently maybe in one of these weeks right now. Uh, we had just had Ruthie, our newborn. I have four children. I also have Izzy, Owen, and Ethan. They all do different activities. Uh, they all have different things that they're involved in. And so as a result... Um, we weren't sleeping with a newborn. We were taking one over here to soccer. We were taking one over here to baseball. We were taking one over here to, to ballet in this building. I feel like I live up here half the time. It's three days a week of ballet, then church, and all this other stuff. We were just spread thin. 
There's all this stuff going on, right? We were exhausted. This, the kids are all doing different school stuff. Uh, they've got homework to finish. It's, it's, it was one of those weeks where you're just exhausted. You're trying to figure out which uh, parent is getting what kid to what activity at what time and how is it all going to fit together, right? And we sit down on the couch, Ashley, and then we get the kids to bed. They came down a million times because they were tired. They were hungry. They forgot their water. They had a scary dream even though they hadn't been asleep yet. You're not a sleep yet. Get back in your room, right? All these moments have already happened. It's like nine something at night, and we plop down on the couch, and we just kind of go, and Ashley looks over at me, and she goes, "Uh, sweetie, maybe she didn't say sweetie, but um, I forgot, we have a field trip tomorrow with all the kids. I was like, oh, okay, well, good luck with that. That'll be fun. I don't, I mean, we're we're going to NASA. That'll be great. And she's like, um, no, um, we have nothing to eat in the house. There's nothing for lunches, like nothing. I can't pack tuna fish in a jar for the kids. We can't go Uncle Buck on them here, right? And she's like, I was like, oh, are you kidding me? He's like, no bread, no turkey, the peanut butter's out. We had nothing. There's nothing to get to. And she uh, basically just looks at me and goes, will you take care of that? And in that moment, it's like rage, confusion, fury, exhaustion. I can't believe what's happening. How can we not have any food? It's like this is insanity. And I find myself like in a zombie-like state just walking through the aisles of H-E-B, picking out like (laughs) stuff for the children to eat at the field trip, right? It's really like... It's these moments where you're looking at your life between marriage and work and responsibilities and parenting and activities and all these things. It's like you begin, you're just, you feel spread so thin. You feel stretched. You feel, how am I going to get it all done? How am I going to pay for all of this? How are we going to juggle it all? What is this going to look like in the years ahead? Where you're just at your wit's end. And all of these things in that moment seem to have been colliding. And I'm just like, what is happening? happening? How, what, what's happening in our life, right? It's in all of these little moments, right? How are we going to get it all done in a given week? It's the late night at bed. You're trying to get your kids. And if you're a parent, it's, I've heard it called a, a reverse hostage situation. You better stay in there and you better not come out because I've already done this 20 times, right? You're like, just stay in your room. Just please don't come out again, right? It's in those late moments, and you're just wondering what it's all going to be like. How you're all going to get, how are you going to get it all together? So many things in parenting should be simple. They just should, like, so many things in our parenting journey, in our parenting lives, in the everyday, they just, they should be simpler, or at least it seems like it should be simpler. These really simple basic tasks somehow have manifested themselves into these just Moments where, like, how did, they, how did it end up being like this? This shouldn't be hard. This is really easy, basic stuff, like eating a meal together. Should be simple. It shouldn't be that difficult. Like, kids shouldn't say, I don't like it, make me something else. I just made you this. How could you don't like this? This is delicious. You should enjoy this, right? Getting dressed in the morning should be simple. Right, parents? There we go. Doing homework, reading the instructions, filling out the blanks that are in front of them should be simple. 
getting in the car and who gets what seat where shouldn't be like World War III. It just shouldn't be a big deal. But it is. None of these things are simple. None of these things seem easy. None of these things seem to be as simple as we parents think that they should be. They're like, cause these nuclear explosions all over that somehow a million little cuts turn into these big deals over time. And in the midst of all of these little, simple, almost silly sometimes things that turn into really big deals, uh, I think it's very possible, parents, uh, that we can lose our way. That we can forget why we're parents. This happens to me all the time. We can forget what it is we're doing and why we're supposed to be doing it. We lose our sense of intentionality with our kids because we're just trying to get from one moment to the next. And we're simply just reacting. I call this bumper car parenting. A lot of us seem like we get trapped in this world of bumper car parenting where we've been strapped into this thing and we seem to just be careening and bumping into the next thing and then go and bumping into the next one over here and we forget that we're supposed to be going somewhere and we're supposed to be accomplishing something with this mega commitment known as parenting. And so we can be aimless sometimes in it and we just react to the next thing that happens down the road and we respond to the next thing down the road and we look up one day and we're like, what is, where are we headed? What are we doing? How is this supposed to work? How, how are we supposed to be dealing with all of this? It's like you, you're dealing with one thing, and then you hear something else over here from another one, and you try to go address that while this one's yet still unfinished. And then another thing pops up over here that you're having to deal with, and you're just, you feel like you're just sort of disjointed and bouncing, and you're unclear of how to get your bearings. And I think sometimes in those moments, we as parents, if you're anything like me, you can wonder, God, are you still even there? Do you care about all of this? Does this mean anything to you? Right? Because it can, sometimes it can just feel sometimes mundane. You're just kind of, you're in it and you're just grinding away and you're like, Lord, are you, do you care about this stuff? Parenting is hard, isn't it? In the big things and in the little things, it can be hard. Like, for example, my two-year-old, Ruthie. Um, I'm convinced right now in this season, she just hates eating. I don't know why. Like, any time at dinner, she just, whatever, we've, it's this delicious meal Ashley made or I made or something. It's just, unless it's, it's like a chip or a tortilla, she wants nothing to do with it right now for some reason. Or it's gum because her older, her older siblings now chew gum and she's discovered what gum is and she wants to constantly chew gum, but she's two and you're like, you can't have gum. Now she throws a meltdown fit. You're like, what is wrong? Like, what's happening here, right? We've had these moments as parents. What seems like something that shouldn't, we shouldn't have to deal with, like, why won't you eat your food, we're dealing with. And it just is so frustrating it just gets under our skin and our instinct in those moments, parents. Here's our instinct. Here's what we want. Here's what we grasp for. We think we need a set of rules. We think we need a set of new strategies. We think we need a few extra tips to get us through. And so we scour the web and blogs and things that uh, our favorite Instagram story poster has written or whatever it, whatever it is we reach for. We're like, just give me a few helpful tips for dealing with dinner. Give me a few helpful tips for dealing with bedtime. Give me a few helpful tips 
that will get my kids dressed and out the door on time. Give me some strategies for dealing with sibling infighting. And the church often has responded in this way. Give me seven helpful steps that I need to the promised land of parenting. We say things like that. Or give me seven strategies for successful sibling situations, right? Because there's a lot of S's and people seem to like things that are kind of rhymey. Oh, yeah, that sounds really helpful. And they are helpful for a little bit. But those are often like New Year's resolutions. We change our mind in the moment, and then we get right back to how it was before. Parents, I'm here to tell you, as we're reading Paul's letter, as we're opening God's word, that's not what we need today. What does the Bible give us? What does the Bible give us? Does the Bible give us strategies for life? Is that what the Bible's all about? Successful tips and strategies to navigate the everyday, specifically parenting. No. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how we should talk to our kids in every given situation, in every given moment. The Bible doesn't tell us how to respond as moms and dads when a really nice evening just goes south because one of your kids has a bad attitude and decides he's just done. And now he's throwing a fit when you're like, I just took you out to dinner and I just paid 50 bucks to go here and then I took you both. And like, how, what could you possibly be mad at? You don't know what I do for you, right? These, how do you, does the Bible speak to these moments? It doesn't say, well, say this, do this, and this will be the outcome. It doesn't, it's not in there. It doesn't, it's not a, it's not a manual of tips and tricks for relative, relevant parenting. It's not a script that you follow because God knows we need something profoundly bigger than that. We need something much more beautiful than a bunch of how-tos, believe it or not. Church, what we need, what Ephesians, what Paul is telling us, what the Bible is going to tell us is that we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might be thinking, well, great. I was hoping to get a few tips and tricks because that's what I really want. I need some help with rebellious kids. I need some help in these areas that I need to navigate Well, church, our help is found. Help is found in profound ways in the glorious realities, the transformational message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what this book is all about. And and, and when I say that, I know a lot of us, if we've grown up the church, we think this. When I hear the word gospel of Jesus, I think, okay, that must mean I need to be saved and then I can get the how-tos of a good parent. I just get me into heaven, or we think, well, the gospel is our, our exit one day into the glorious realities with him. I'm not just talking about the gospel as the entry point, as the entrance into heaven and the exit one day. I'm saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ, as given to us in his word, informs our every single day, our every single moment, even as parents, as husbands, as wives, as friends, all of it. It informs all of it. That's what we need. Jesus did not just die for your past sins, though he did. He did not just die to secure your future and glory with him, although he did do that. He died for the every moment of every day. This is where we need the gospel. 
We forget it every day, but we need to be reminded. And this is what Paul is doing in his letter to the Ephesians. We need the gospel in everyday moments in this present world because the gospel addresses everything in our lives. And when we understand the gospel, not just as my ticket in, as my get out of jail, get out of hell for free card, when we understand it as profoundly more than that, that it, in, that it informs all of our realities and all of our lives, what it does is it gives us a brand new lens to view the world. It's like gospel lenses that he wants to put on. And now everything that we see is profoundly different because of the good news of the gospel in our everyday moments. It's not just a long time ago he forgave me for these things and one day he'll welcome me in, though he will. It's in the everyday. It's a new reality in which we face and view our present world in our everyday lives. And I'm not just talking about as parents, we want to make sure our kids are saved. Though we do. That's why we just dedicated them, that we would share the gospel with them. I'm talking about as mom and dad, as parents, that the good news of Jesus, the gospel realities, are bearing down in our hearts and minds, and they, in that reality, begins to inform how we live out this call, this mega commitment known as parenting. It's the glorious reality. It's the lens through which we view our lives. And that gospel has the power to give us this new lens and to give us this new view to walk in the moments with the grace of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, uh, the justice of Jesus, the authority of Jesus in those everyday moments as parents for our kids. The gospel is what keeps us from losing our way in those everyday moments. The gospel is what grounds us and keeps us from becoming just bumper car parenting. And so this our time this morning, I want to just look at two things um, that I think have the ability to transform our parenting. And these are, these are tough to talk about. I'm no expert. The, the hardest thing about um, teaching God's word, the standard of God, is that you're looking at a sinful, fallen person trying to do it. I do not stand up here saying I know it all or I've got it all right. I stand up here saying this is what God gives us and let's collectively together try to walk in this manner that our kids might look and glorify Jesus in their lives and that we might look and glorify Jesus in our lives together as parents. So the first thing is the gospel will tell us who we are as parents. So if we don't understand our job description, um, there's no way we're ever going to be what God has called us to be as a parent. The gospel informs that. The second thing is the gospel tells us what our primary tools are as parents. As parents, we all are going to reach for some kind of tool that we're going to grab hold of, that we're going to try to gather, that we're going to have in the tool belt, that we're going to think, and we're going to go to that because we think that tool will produce what is needed for our child. And the gospel tells us what tools it is we're supposed to be reaching for. The world will tell us other things as well. So we need help. And parents, our help is found in the message of the Lord Jesus. It is not found, church, catch this. It is not found on our iPhones. Uh, it is not found on TV, or no one watches TV anymore. Netflix, Amazon Prime, uh, whatever streaming service, Hulu, that you subscribe to, YouTube. Our help is not found 
in our ability to outshout our children. Our help is not found in our ability to ignore our children and just hope it goes away. Our help is found in the gospel. God gives us that help. And so Ephesians chapter 6 answers these two realities. And it says, what's your primary job description and what's your primary tool? So what is it that I'm supposed to be doing? Make no mistake, parenting is hard. Jesus in the Bible explains why it's so hard. Here's the reality of the situation we find ourselves in, church. Ready? Parenting is a flawed person, me and you, trying to give guidance and wisdom and hope to another flawed person, your children, right, in a fallen and broken world. Sound hopeful, right? It's like, okay, glad I came to church today. Here's the good news. With the ever-present hope of a faithful God that will not leave you, that you can never diminish, that you can always go to, that you can always lean on, and you can never exhaust him. Though we are never without need, we can never exhaust him. He pours it out on us again and again and again and again when we're in need. We need help, wisdom, and guidance, and we find it from the Lord Jesus. The world tells us one way of looking at parenting, and the scriptures are going to tell us another. The world tells us, I think, this way. The world tells us, okay, these, as if you're a parent in here, these kids, they belong to me. These are my kids, right? They belong to me, and it's my job to give them and to form them and to bring into them the things I think should be formed in them. And it's my job to sort of get from them the outcome and results that I think is best for them. Right? So we kind of come up with our rules and our lists and our things, and it's, it's my job. Uh, I, they're my kids, and so I'm going to do what I think is good for the things in my kids. My job is to produce the things I think are good for my kids, and I want that in them. And my job is to get from my children what I think is best that they should be producing and doing and living in and walking in. What's wrong with this model? It sounds kind of good. It's like, okay, well, hopefully we'll have sort of some good ideas about that, and we'll work really hard, and we'll produce some good, well-rounded, nice kids that produce good members of society that are nice to each other and pass their driver's tests and all those things, right? That sounds nice, but what's wrong with this model is it puts you right in the middle of parenting. It makes parenting all about you and me. It's your wants. It's your needs it's your principles, it's your perspectives, it's your outcomes, it's your perceived goals, it's you, 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 you. We have all these things. The radically different message of parenting in the Bible, in the scriptures, is this, that these children don't belong to you. They're not yours to just hold on to and keep. They've been entrusted to you. They're gifts that God has given to you. They've been entrusted to you. They don't belong to us. And they're not given to build our reputation. They're not given to be servants to make our lives a little bit easier. They're not given that there would be trophies for our success, that we can look at them and say, look at all the great things I've just done and instilled in them. They're not given just to make our lives comfortable. They're not given to build our reputation so that our friends will think we're wonderful. Children are not here just for you. 
And if we operate with that assumption that children are here for me, then when we fly off the rail, here's what happens. We often get frustrated when we fly off the rail, when we get angry, when we get upset. Here's what typically happens. It's because they've broken my law and my house. They've broken my rules. And oftentimes, my rules are unannounced and they change week to week. I can't believe, this kid doesn't know what I do for him and all the, I put food on this, like whatever, it, however it is that we operate in that. They've broken my law and sometimes that law is unannounced it's unknown to your children, and it changes based on the week that you've had, doesn't it? That's my law. Why do we get angry as parents so often? What's the main, what's the main reason? Why do we fly off the handle so often? Why do we get frustrated as parents? More often than not, it's not because our children have broken God's law. It's not because they've gone against the will of God, the standard of God, what the Lord wants from them, it's more often that they've broken our law. Our law. And if you're like me, this is where it kind of rears its ugly head for me, there shall be no parenting after 10 p.m. in my law book. <laughs> Get in that bed. I had a scary dream. You weren't even asleep, right? We like these moments. They've done nothing against the law of God, and we respond and react in those moments. Those are the things that cause the most visceral, often, reactions from us as parents in the moment. So what in life causes you to react the strongest and loudest and most forcefully with your children? What are those things? Think about it. And do those moments have anything to do with what God says is good, right, and true? Or do most all of those moments have to do with what is comfortable in your world? That is why we need the gospel. That's why I need it. That's why we need the scriptures. Because if not, we just make it about me, about us. And it ends up not being about what is good, right, and true, and what's best for them, and forming these children in the image of God, giving them the grace, mercy, justice, firmness, beauty of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, but it's just what mom and dad think is best that week. The Bible gives us a different model. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. You know we'd eventually get to it. I had to set it up. It takes a little while. It says this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Just four verses. This is probably the most classic of all parenting verses in the Bible. Children, obey. See, we're talking about submission and authority again. Paul's talking about this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Catch this. This is it right here. But bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Look at what the content of verse 4 is saying. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up, train them up, nurture them, grow them, see them, live and grow in what? The discipline and the instruction of the Lord Jesus. That the way of God, the plan of God is what is paramount for us as parents. 
the way of Jesus is paramount for us as parents. Ephesians 4 is saying there's something bigger than what we think that we need. Something bigger than we've thought or dreamed. Something bigger than this in this agenda of parenting. Ephesians 4 is saying these children aren't just for our agenda, but they've been given to us, and we are to represent the Lord to them. Or as Paul Tripp uh, mentions it in his book, we're to be ambassadors of God to our children. What's the job of an ambassador? The only thing an ambassador does is represent the representatives. And so my job is to represent the way and the purpose and the plan of the one whom my children belong, the instruction of the Lord to them. Everything we do in parenting is meant to be approached as a representative of God. Your entire calling as a parent is to represent the Lord to these children. we're, We're representatives of what is good, right, and true in the gospel. The way we discipline our children must represent what is good, right, and true as found in the Lord Jesus. The things we require of our children must be a representation of the Lord Jesus, of what is good, right, and true. Every moment, every encounter, every conversation, every moment of instruction, all the teaching, all the wisdom we're instilling is meant in those moments that God gives those to you to represent Jesus and his authority in this world through the power of the gospel to these children so that when they feel and see and experience parents like this, they would begin to feel, see, experience, and entrust the Lord Jesus. That's what Paul's teaching us here. Bring them up, raise them up in the way of Jesus, the instruction of the Lord. Represent Christ to these children. Represent Christ. So what does this mean for Ephesians 6 verse 4? Remember, this whole chapter is about submission and authority. Authority in the church in chapter 5. Jesus is the head of all the authority. Authority in a marriage relationship. And now authority in the home that he's talking about here. And here, this authority that is sourced in Christ is now trickled down into you and I as parents as we lead our families. And so Ephesians 6 tells us, catch this church, Ephesians 6 tells us this. That we are, as parents to our children, are to make his, God's, invisible authority visible to our children. We, as parents, God has given us children to make his good, right, and true gospel authority, the headship of Jesus. He has entrusted that with us as parents, and we're to make that invisible authority now visible to these children that he's entrusted to us by sending parents of authority to children who desperately need authority. So here's what this means. Every time I exercise authority in the life of my child, it must be a beautiful picture of the authority of God. Every time I exercise authority, it must be a picture of the authority of Christ over me. The wise, patient, firm, yet gracious, loving, faithful authority of God that never runs out. How on earth can we possibly do that? That seems like a very high calling, doesn't it? You're like, oh, well, that's impossible. 
I broke that like 15 times driving here this morning as I hit my kids in the back. Stop it, right? Don't act like that. You're acting like a lunatic. We're going to church, right? How do we do that? We need grace. And thank God, in the economy of the kingdom of God, uh, we serve and live and operate under a very graceful, good, loving God that's given us his very son that when we fall, he gets us back up and puts us back right on track. Um, Parents, every time we exercise authority, it must be a beautiful picture of the authority of God. Yes, we get grace, but how are we doing in that? How am I doing in this? Here's why we need this. Here's why Paul addresses it this way in Ephesians 6. That's why he uses words like obey and fathers, don't do this, don't provoke, but instead give the instruction of the Lord Jesus to your kids. Why does he say it like this? Because our children don't come into the world loving authority, just like we didn't, just like we currently don't. They come into the world as... um, their own little kings and queens, right? They're self-sovereigns. They've got their own agenda. They've got their own rules. They think, I know what's best. I know what I'm going to wear. I know how I'm going to operate. I'm not going to know how I live this life. And if you tell me otherwise, I'm going to buck up against you because I don't think I need your authority, nor do I want to hear from you and what you think I need. So it's the same fight we have with God. We don't ever grow out of this. That's why we need the authority structures that God has provided in the kingdom of God with Jesus and the church and all the things he's set up. The fight about going to bed is not about sleep. It's about authority. The fight about what to eat is not about what to eat. It's about authority. Right? And so in the heart of our child, there's a rebellion to authority, just like we have. And when, when, I, when we, as parents, exercise authority in an angry, hurtful, maybe name-calling or even abusive way with impatience, it actually deepens the rebellion in our kids. It deepens the rebellion in the heart of our children against authority. So parents, our job is to make the authority of God in our child a beautiful, gracious, loving, yet firm, but trustworthy, wisdom-sourced thing so that as a child grows in your home, as a child grows up in your home, they view it as this beautiful thing that they can trust in his or her life because you have an anchor far deeper and better than your own emotions for that week. It's sourced in God and the gospel of Jesus. Because the only possible way, the only hope that we have, I did youth ministry for a number of years, of parenting through the years of teenagehood, right? Through these teenage years. And to have a teenager trust their parents' authority is that if you've walked in it and you've been given trustworthy, good, sound, wise, gospel-rearing advice to your children and they learn that they can trust mom and dad with it and it doesn't just fly off the handle based on their emotions. And they learn they can trust you. They can go to you. So our job is not to exercise authority in just some way that I've chosen. Um, because to do that distorts the authority of God. Distorts the authority of God in their lives. And so when we fail in those moments, we fail to represent Christ and his authority in our lives. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Without without the gospel, it creates struggle and mistrust 
and conflict in the hearts of your child, and it reinforces rebellion. What can I get away with? And we can't exercise authority in a selfish way either. For example, if you've had a hard day, depending on who you are, maybe you plop down on the couch and you grab a cold water or maybe a, another beverage of choice on a really long day uh, out of the fridge, uh, and you just forgot to grab it. The fridge is like two steps away, and you go, Johnny, come on down here. And he's like, runs down. Hey, will you grab me that water out of the fridge? It's like, it's ten, like don't exercise authority in this selfish, self-serving way. It's like, just get up and... Because if we do this over and over, not to say that kids shouldn't participate in helping in the home, but if you just exercise authority so that just constantly is benefiting you in a selfish way, they'll learn not to trust you. They're going to say, this authority that's coming down on me is all about self-serving my parents. And they're like, oh, he's going to call me down because he just wants me to get or do or do something that will make his life a little bit easier. That's not the way that the gospel works in our authority. Children should help with the chores. I'm not saying that. But we are to represent Christ's authority as the home as parents in the gospel. So when we see sin in our children, when we see rebellion in our children, when we see failure in our children, it's never an accident, it's never an interruption, and it's never an inconvenience. It's an opportunity to show them the love of, the love of Christ, the grace of the gospel, and the authority of God in your home and in their lives. God has placed that child in your home on purpose for a reason, that you would bring them up so that they would flourish in the kingdom of God. They would learn to trust you as parents. And so parents, last thing I'm gonna say, because I'm over time, I've got 10 more pages of notes, but I can't get there. I'm gonna wrap it up right now. If we, church, this is, this is vital. I'm saying all this about understanding and knowing the gospel about the gospel-centered parenting, about anchoring your life and your heart and the authority of God here in this, we need to know this. We need to know what it says. We need to know what it tells us. We need to know what the gospel implications are for us. Otherwise, we just, it just, it, otherwise it's like a New Year's resolution. We just go back to what we were doing before. We need help from above, and this is where we find it. So I want to implore you, church, to do something uh, that so often is just left behind. Dig into the word of God. Let it begin to mold and shape your character and your heart because if our heart isn't changed and shaped and molded and guided by the gospel of Jesus, we will not be a good representative of it for our children. So church, parents, maybe one day you will be a parent. You have children in your life now that you want to be a good representative dig in to the gospel and good news of Jesus. Let it inform your heart because it's in those places that we need the grace to do what God has called us to do, to let the gospel transform our parenting, our authority, and he gives us grace and sacrifice for the molding of a human heart. It's a big responsibility and we need his help and it's found here. Let's do it together, church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've not left us alone. We thank you that you give us guidance, that you give us these children that you've entrusted to us. What a privilege, God. Lord, we thank you for all the children in our church. 
We thank you for the hundred-some kids that are back there in these rooms. Lord, what a tremendous responsibility you have entrusted us to. Lord, they're not ours. They're not for our keeping. But you've given these children to us as gifts that we can show them the grace, mercy, kindness, firmness, beauty of the kingdom of God. And so, God, I pray for each of the parents here in this room that you would impress upon them and their hearts the realities of the good news of the gospel, that you would change our hearts, that we would go to the source, we would go to your word, and that we would find the treasures that never end in your truth, and that would be a wellspring for us that we would draw from as we parent and love these children that you've entrusted to us. Lord Jesus, thank you. We love you. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship.